The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. Spirit of God, we, um, we need your presence. We need communion with you. We need constant, um, just that reminder that your word is sufficient, you love us, and you would never give us more than we can handle. You're always up to something good, the good of becoming more like our Savior. And as we talk about our children, um, beloved children, um, Lord, we just need that reminder of who you are and uh, that you're with us moment by moment. Lord, make this session be what you want it to be. Not what I want it to be, but what you want it to be. Oh, precious Lord, we praise you. Amen. hope everybody has their notes. I have a question for you. Is motherhood God's highest calling? Or for you men, is fatherhood God's highest calling? See, I was told that was true. My husband and I have five children, and my mother told me that having more children than my siblings had proved her point. Okay. She wasn't a theologian, but I tried to be uber mom, and I know many of you had, Um, not as in the taxi service, uber, (laughs) uber mensch mom. uh, This was in the the 70s, and um, I made my own mayonnaise. I mean, really, how many of you earth mothers out there made their own mayonnaise? Not too many. I mean, everything had to be natural and from the earth. And then, uh, and I homeschooled before anyone ever heard of homeschooling in 1979. Missionary friends told me about it. I said, well, that's good. That's what I'm going to do. And um, I sacrificed myself 24-7 so that my children would be warriors in Jesus' kingdom, right? My husband was a Bible-preaching and teaching uh, pastor. He was mentored by J.E. Adams himself. And yes, we were far from perfect, but we expected God to regenerate our children, naturally, right? It was a formula, a biblical formula, but it was going to happen. So go ahead in time, a couple decades. (laughs) Um, Try to imagine me sitting on my bed with my back to this big headboard and I am thinking about three of my five children. One of them was in prison for marijuana use and sales for the ninth time. He said it was God's best plant, okay? Um, One of them was in a psych hospital with paranoid delusions. After she had escaped from being sex trafficked, she was saved by one gnat's eyelash. That's how close she was when we got her back. She would go for walks, couldn't find her way home, like an Alzheimer's patient. And one time a sex trafficker got her, and the Lord brought her back six days later. Needless to say, those were hard times. And another child was on her way to Hollywood seeking a secular career, because she had just made a movie against the exclusivity of Christ. Because Christ was a wonderful savior, but he wasn't the only savior. All right, I guess you can imagine 
what was going on. And I realized that I'd almost lost my mind sitting on that bed when I, it, it dawned on me that I was actually hitting my head against that headboard, unbeknownst to me. I went, oh my word, I'm not sane anymore. So now some of you parents who are listening, I can see by your faces, you really understand this at some level. You really do. Maybe it's only one child. Maybe it's not three out of five. And by the way, I'm up to four out of five now, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but it, it feels like these children have rejected you, your faith, and your whole world, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, it does. You know, when you, when you started out, you couldn't wait to have kids, right? You just couldn't wait. Because you were going to provide the best church and the best school and the best social activities. What's going on now? You're just dreading the next phone call. Yeah. So how are we going to keep our faith and our sanity? Let's define our terms. It's in your notes. So what is faith? I'm not going to give you a real exegetical definition. I'm going to give you a layman's definition. Um, how to keep this faith. The faith is a gift from God. To believe that Jesus is truly God and that he forgives and changes sinners who repent. And also, there's another big promise that you need faith in to keep your sanity. And that's that he's preparing a place for you. And that it's not always going to be like this. And what you do is unto him, he, he rewards. We're not talking justification here. I'm talking about all those verses on rewards. I often assign counselees who've been providentially pounded. That's my husband's phrase. I like it. Providentially pounded. To do a study on rewards, it really, really helps. Um, so faith is saying God means what he says. So you can keep your faith that God means what he says. And that truth will be vindicated someday, no matter what your child is saying about you, or how they treat you, or how far away they are, or if you haven't heard from them in a long, long, long time. Let's describe sanity. Again, this is not a technical definition. Sanity is the ability to handle rationally and reasonably what comes your way. So how do you stay rational when you don't even know where your child is? or they're spitting in your face, or raging at you. I don't know if any of you experienced that. Um, you, and I hate you. You've never cared for me anyway, okay? How to keep your sanity, that ability to be rational and reasonable. And let's define prodigal child. Again, this is going to be a real simple definition. So your natural or adopted child of any age who resists what you hold most dear. And what do you hold most dear? Your relationship with Christ. So if they have resisted that and they rejected the word of God, or like in the case of one of my children, oh, Jesus is my savior, but Hinduism is true too, and this is true too, and all that's true. You can just, it's one big melting pot of confusion, all right? So it's resisting what you hold most precious, your relationship with Christ himself. All right, so what are we going to do? Number one, trust in God's sovereign love and control. You've heard this 
so many times already in this conference, but it has to be repeated. Point one, you can see it in your notes. God does not give his children more than we can handle with him. Write that right next to that, <laughs> with him. Joseph in, in Genesis 50. I mean, talk about abandonment, <laughs> betrayal. He handled that. He did not lose his faith or his sanity. God did not give him more than he could handle because he was right there with him. He was in communion with God himself. Samuel, well, his sons didn't turn out well. And he has a wonderful legacy in the Bible. He is truly someone we look up to, a true prophet who spoke God's words. How about Esther? She didn't have any prodigal children, but she had the life of her entire nation on her shoulders. God did not give her more than she could handle because he was right there with her as she was in communion with him and got God's word. Um, the three Hebrew boys in, in uh, Babylon, they, they were refugees. They were taken away from everything familiar. And then they had death threats. And what, what did God enable them to do? They, I mean, they, they stayed strong. Their faith got stronger, and they made that declaration to Nebuchadnezzar. So God doesn't give us more than we can handle when we're walking with him. My next point, <clears throat> it is shocking slash amazing what God thinks you can handle. Now, shocking is my word. Amazing is my husband's. He has more faith than I do. I find it personally shocking. I, I, I see shake hands. I see somebody else finds it shocking too. But he's always good. God is always good. And he would never, never allow anything to happen in your world to your children if it wasn't for his glory. And you're good. And yes, they're good in the end. It's just a long, long journey. We'll get to the journey part at the end. But look at Eli. I mean, there's a sad story. There's a very sad story. And David, I mean, having the son Absalom chase you, try to commit treason. I mean, I mean, he loved Absalom. He loved Absalom so much, and Absalom turned on him. Turned on him. And, of course, Jacob, also called Israel. Um, they tried really hard to raise their children in a godly way, and some went in a very bad direction. We don't actually know the eternal destinations of every one of Israel's children. It's not necessarily that clear in Scripture. So in the end, okay, every one of you, think about what you've been facing with, with a, a child, a prodigal, adult or grown. When you look back, you will see that he has enabled you to keep on believing God's promises and to maintain some level of sanity. I just want you to, we, you know, there will be moments when you think you have lost it. You have not. God is right there. He is faithful. He will restore your mind. But you're going to have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because you will think you've lost your mind because a really... There are children who are able to twist what you've said and make you doubt your sanity. Sometimes a spouse does that <laughs> if you're in a very, very difficult relationship. But a child can do that to you, too. Well, you didn't say this. Yes, I did. I know I said that. No, you didn't. And you think you've lost your mind. But you, we need to be 
transformed by the renewing of our mind. When I was at my worst, a pastor gave me this Matthew Henry saying, and I liked it so much, I have framed it. It's in my office. And for 18 years now, every counselee who comes into my office sees this Matthew Henry phrase. Do you see it in your notes? Extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins. But sometimes they're the trial of extraordinary graces. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. When my pastor friend gave me that, my first response was, can I go back to being a private? If this is a promotion, if this means that somehow God thinks I'm a, a general in his army, I just want to go back to being a private. I don't want to be promoted. This is horrible. I did not sign up for this. And just this wisdom was so helpful to me. Another thing that really, really helps in trusting God's sovereign love and control is it's really understanding his love. God loves your child more than you do. And I know every single one of us would get that right. If I gave you a test now and say, does God love your child more than you do, you'd all get an A+, right? That's right up here. But what about emotionally, when you don't know where they are? or whether they spit in your face, or stole something very valuable, <laughs> or locked up for the ninth time, <laughs> or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Hear me. It, we need to never stop telling our children and showing them that you love them more than you, they will ever imagine, yet God's love for lost lambs, and that's what they are, they're lost wayward souls, is far more than your love will ever be on your best day on your best day, when you're not really angry at them. And let's admit it, we get really angry and frustrated with them. But even on your best day, when you're just melting with tenderness, <laughs> God loves them far more, far, far, far more. But because you love them, you're not going to allow them to destroy themselves if you can help it. Now, do we have control of that? No, but what happens in your house, in your world, you have control of. And you can say, no more. You can go read their diaries. By the way, I recommend reading diaries. Um, when somebody is a danger to themselves or others, read their diary, their journal. Um, when you suspect they're bringing something in their backpack, check their backpack, okay? Um, yeah, you're not being a bad parent. You're not violating their privacy. Once they start down that road and you know they're, they're beginning to be a danger to themselves or others, then you better, you better look. I'm not saying in an obsessive checking way, you know, like every day you're looking at your phone. But I mean you better ask the Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit's a way better detective than you are. Way better. So, I mean, I've seen people err on both sides of this. Too much checking or not enough. But the Spirit of God knows the truth and ask him to show you when to check, when to look, and when it's too much, when you're walking in the flesh and not by faith. Um, next uh, is Roman numeral three. Don't suffer alone. Please don't suffer alone. Get help. There are some parents who are so embarrassed by this 
they never tell anybody because, well, people at church are going to think they're a bad parent, right? Um, I think you should call on the church for help even if the problem appears too much, even if the leaders seem too busy or naive to the severity of your problem. Or what if about if pastor preaches in such a way that you would think, oh, he would never understand how you got into this dilemma. How did these kids get like this? I mean, it might get four out of five. Good grief. <laughs> that sounds like really bad parenting. Okay, so get help. Um, remember, their job is to what? Shepherd their sheep. Even if they know nothing about these kinds of things, maybe they never had this in seminary. It's their God-given job. They can, they can cry with you, and they can pray with you. So don't hide this. Get help. Please get help. And then seek help from a biblical counselor if the church proves to be unwilling or incapable. There are some that actually qualify for unwilling and incapable. Um, I hope that's none of yours, but they're out there. Um, try to find a biblical counselor. Um, and then, this is going to be the most controversial thing I say today. <laughs> um, seek the best medical professional possible if the church and counseling is indicating that there's a biologic condition in the mix. Okay. Wait a minute. Right? I thought you guys were against psychiatrists and psychologists. I'm, I'm for hard science. And like a neurologist would do tests that are based on brain function. I mean, concussions often contribute to depression, sometimes anxiety, all kinds of traumatic brain injuries. There are brain infections. I mean, the, my daughter, the one I told you about with the psych hospital, she was diagnosed with neuropsych Lyme disease. Lyme disease, bitten by a tick, which we think contributed a whole lot to her psychosis and her delusions. Um, but then there are other physical things. Two of my children were diagnosed schizophrenic, one grandiose, the other paranoid. Oddly enough, they were both Frank's breech babies. They came out backwards with very long, difficult deliveries. There's a correlation between problems in labor and autism, schizophrenia, learning disabilities, and others. I didn't say causation, did I? I said correlation. So God made us whole people, didn't he? We're inner person, outer person. The, inner, the heart affects our body. Our body affects our heart. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit. God made us whole people. We're inner person, outer person. They affect each other. So if your child has changed dramatically in a short period of time, don't assume they've suddenly lost their salvation or turned into a monster, okay? Go get good medical help. We went to a nutritionist. Nutritionist helped very much for one of our children. Um, uh, a uh, neurologist, somebody who does brain scans. Um, and it's hard to get brain scans, by the way, but you can actually find doctors willing to do brain scans. You will pay out of pocket, but sometimes they help. 
There's many, many reasons why a person is, is having uh, impulse control. Um, like my, the two I told you about that are schizophrenic, the grandiose uh, one, he, he told a psychiatrist at age 18 that <laughs> he could play basketball like I, uh, Allen Iverson, if any of you know, big basketball player. He, I mean, he really believed it from the bottom of his heart, so he got grandiose delusional <laughs> written across the thing. And the daughter with paranoid schizophrenia was sure that people were um, breaking into her room, stealing tiny little things. I mean, we knew it wasn't true, but she believed it. Okay, now is that sin or sickness or both? When someone asks me about some behavior and they say, is this sin or sickness? I say, yes. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, that is confusing. We are complex people. God made us in his image, but we're fallen, just like anybody who just heard Scott Mail. We are so fallen. And so every part of us is fallen. So it's a complex thing. But there's always hope, and we're going to get to the hope part. Um, but let's, let's look at the next section now. Take personal responsibility for your thoughts and actions, not your child's. Oh, this is so important. Take personal responsibility for what you've done. You can't control them, but you can see what did I contribute? What did I contribute? Be quick to confess and ask forgiveness for your own sins and failures even if they were 2% of the problems in, that, in your family, or maybe they were much, much more. One of the most common sins in solid Christian families is the emphasis of performance over grace. And I was raised in a very fundamentalistic church, Mennonite brethren, and I knew the gospel, sort of, but I knew that the proof of a Christian is if they don't dance, drink, smoke, play cards, or go to movies very performance-oriented. Now, that's gone. There are not too many Mennonites left around here. But some of us were raised, and some of you raised your children, where performance was a bigger deal than the grace of who they were in a relationship with you. We parents who take the Bible seriously, as we should, can fail to give your child the message that your love for them is based on your relationship and not on how well they keep your rules. Because you know what? Some of your rules are man-made rules. They're not biblical. And you have a right to say, oh, like a man-made rule, like a curfew. Of course you have a right. And there's plenty of other things, like pick up your room every now and then. I would like to see the color of the carpet. Um, but still, those are still man-made rules, and you want to make sure that your relationship with them is a bigger deal than how well they keep your rules. And if your rule is that they get straight A's, that's not a good rule. Just thought I'd add that. <laughs> um, but we want to make sure um, that your love for them is based on your relationship and how, not how well they keep your rules. Because there are children who have very sensitive consciences, and they want to please you. Now, if you have a child like that, I mean, they don't usually qualify for being called prodigals. They're not. They're the hyper-compliant ones. Anybody here have a very hyper-compliant child? I had one. Um, they want to please you very badly, okay? So, but you see, the, they're trying so hard to please you, 
They might not have grasped what grace in Christ actually looks like and feels like. So you might, you're going to have a prodigal who's really rebellious in the same family that you have somebody who's very insecure and petrified that they've upset you. So you have one that doesn't care at all what you think, and then you have one who's, oh my word, can't disappoint mom, or worse than that, can't disappoint dad. Another was, I don't care anymore. Or sometimes, if this one gets really, really, really fed up, they, they join the I don't care club over here. Okay, So I don't know what God's given you, but um, make sure that your home is a grace-based home more than it's a performance-based home. I'm not saying law is bad or rules are bad, but we want to make sure that what Christ has accomplished is a bigger message than your expectations for having an obedient, bright, good-looking, functioning child. Next. Be consistent with planned and reasonable consequences. Let them feel the pain long enough to get the message. Sometimes we don't let them feel the pain long enough to get the message. And it's obviously age appropriate, um, but they really, really uh, need to. And and a a person who's just really, really uh, angry and rebellious, they're the opposite of a compliant child, all right? Those children need prayerful, well-thought-out consequences for their rebellious behavior. And please don't do, I know you do this, you make, you're so angry because they just defied you that you make some crazy rule. You're grounded for, what, three months or something like that, and you know you're not going to follow through with it. You can't because you're going to be more miserable than that because you're now the policeman who's supposed to make sure that they don't touch their screens for however long it is. Um, so you make reasonable, prayed-out, thoughtful consequences. Do not make sudden threats that you're not going to carry out. And next, don't second-guess yourself. If you've made a decision prayerfully with your believing spouse and the advice of the elders, by the way, the elders often are big helpers on this, if they're wise, um, don't second-guess yourself. All right? And say, oh, my word, I was too hard. I was too easy. I was too this. I was too that. And then, and then you're also going to have some relative of yours who's going to say what? I mean, I never, my mother was, would always tell me, I can't believe the things you let him get away with. And then, you know, like 20 minutes later, it's, oh, my word, you're just so hard on him in this area. Right? It's just like, well, what is it? You have to answer before the Lord. You make a decision with your spouse and uh, get advice from others, but don't second-guess yourself um, and, and be beating yourself up. Oh, my word, I gave him candy last week, and that's why he's acting like this. Oh, you know, or, um, or there's so many things where you would beat yourself up fault-finding and introspection. Um, But do develop a plan so the child knows what to expect, whether he's young or whether he's an adult. Make sure the child knows what to expect and doesn't just wait for your mood to change. When we're inconsistent, what do we teach our children? To be mood readers. What mood is mom in today? Oh, don't ask her today. Oh, right? Or, or, or dad's, I can ask dad, because he's in this kind of mood. And so all you teach your children to be is a mood reader, um, because you're not consistent. So I, again, I'm not blaming your child's um, departure on you, but I'm saying 
with whatever God gives us, whether you have children left in the home or whether that prodigal comes back, um, be consistent. Um, don't make them be mood readers. Next, it's under C. Don't rescue or condemn. Don't rescue or condemn. Walk the narrow, balanced path of grace and truth. When our son was messing around with, with marijuana, we knew it was just a matter of time because he was a really dumb criminal. By the way, he'd get caught in everything. I mean, we prayed that he would get caught, but we didn't know how quickly he'd get caught. Um, but we said, you know, if you're locked up, I, I, you know, I'll pray for you, I'll love you, I'll visit you, but no, I'm not bailing you out. We told him that way ahead of time. That's really, really hard to do. And I'm sure horrible things happen to him behind bars. If you're behind bars nine times, you, I'm sure, had bad things happen because he's not this great big guy who could defend himself. Um, but you've got to walk that balanced path of grace and truth. So if you live in grace, rejoicing in your union with Christ, you're going to encourage that struggling prodigal. And you're also going to avoid making excuses for the defiant. It's so hard to be balanced. I think the Bible is balanced, just we're not balanced. And we are, we get tired of the fight, and then we give in to things we shouldn't. Or then we, you know, go to a conference like this and we go home and we're going to, mm, I'm going to do it right now. You know, and how long does that last? So I'm going to teach you how to walk in communion with the Lord. So moment by moment, step by step, you'll be trusting in him for what we do next. Um, preach the truth to yourself daily. Do you see that in D? Preach the truth to yourself daily. So you find your value and worth from your union with Christ and not from how your children are doing. I will never forget when I first learned my identity in Christ, my union with Christ. Because remember, my value and worth was from how my kids were doing. And I still, if somebody asked me, are you, know, are you in union with Christ, I would have said yes. But I wasn't living that way. My, my highest calling was being a mom. So therefore, if my children were not doing well, I was a miserable and anxious failure. So when the whole biblical concept of union with Christ I mean, I, I learned it from hearing it from a sermon. I actually went to seminary and took um, apologetics, and I began to understand union with Christ. And I said, I need to preach this to myself every day. So I now call them truth statements, and I use it with counselees. And so I preach to myself every day. I stand up, and if there's a mirror, I look in the mirror, and I say with conviction. By the way, this works better than medicine. I thought I'd tell you that. My value and worth, my purpose, my significance comes from who I am in union with Christ. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. You know that one? My life is hidden with Christ and God. Christ is my life. Not, and then you put the big not in there. Not from how my kids are doing, how I feel about myself, how I look, okay? And you just, just keep going. How my counselees are doing. Whatever you do, whatever gives you what you do, what you're good at, 
Ultimately, your worth is from the Lord. I'm not saying you, you get no value from being an accomplished musician or counselor or whatever else you do. But ultimately, your value and worth comes from who you are in union with Christ. It keeps you sane. It works better than pills. Because if you do it every day, over and over again, you're actually developing a new neuronal pathway. The Bible calls them habits. <laughs> they're, they're, you're, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you are despondent and anxious and beside yourself because your children are a train wreck, you have to find your identity in Christ and tell yourself that over and over and over again. One thing else you must do, you feed your own soul and body. Don't torture yourself by denying quality time with God and make time for your own rest and restoration. Take some me time. It's not selfish. Some moms, you know, like, and some dads do this too. They just think, they feel guilty if they, if they just take time out because they were maybe raised by a workaholic um, or if ever you sat down, your father said, what are you doing sitting down? Get up, do something, yeah, right? Um, there is such a balance to be had. So take care of yourself spiritually and physically. Get some rest. Feed your own soul and your body. Um, you absolutely must, or you will lose your mind. You feed yourself with, with just the truth of God's word. Um, in fact, one of the things I use when I'm really becoming panicky and anxious and waiting for that phone call from the holding tank again <laughs> is I, um, and this is a tool that Scott Mail was telling us about. There are neat tools. I cross the midline, um, which works with your arms and legs, breathe very, very slowly and deeply. I mean, this is when the panic is going to come. You know, where is my child? He is late. Um, or the one who's in the psych ward again. Okay, so cross the midline, breathe slow and deep, and start singing to yourself the most Christ-centered, calming song you've ever known in your life. I call it my three-step anti-anxiety exercise. Works with anxiety, panic, um, when you don't know what's going on with your child, or whatever your panic about. And uh, there is some science there, but the most important step is the Christ-centered song. Because music, do you know something about music? It's the part of your brain that deteriorates last when you get old. God made the part of your brain that processes music. That's why music blesses you. Have you ever been in a deep, dark place and you heard a song that pulled you out of a deep, dark place? That's the way God made music. So when you're feeling hopeless or panicky or anxious, whatever, that song, you pick a song that has always said, I love you. He's in, God's in control. I can, you, trust me. Remember, God's going to be saying to you, trust me. Did I give you that child? Mm-hmm. I've got this. Trust me. So that it's music that makes you trust God and not go into a panicky frenzy. And then, don't feel guilty when you send them out to live on their own. They have earned the right to find a new address. You have not kicked them out. Do not use the word kick them out. They have earned the right to find a new address. If they have so violated reasonable rules and they've been defiant, 
and there's no, you know, what you use church discipline. By the way, we use church discipline. We have the most disciplined children in our entire denomination. Nothing worked. God's will was that this go on for a long, torturous time. So many times we've had to say to our son, you have earned the right to find a new address. And then very often he would make really significant changes. We'd let him come back and uh, start over. But lastly, be ready for the long haul. I can't say how important this is. You know the parable of the, of the virgins, the wise virgins. What was the difference between the five wise and the five foolish? What'd they do? Answer me. They, they were ready for the long haul. They were waiting for the Lord, but this is going to take a long time. Can I tell you, with whatever person you have in your mind, why you came to this class, whether it's one child, two child, children, whether they're young, whether they're 40 years old, my oldest prodigal is 45, but I will tell you a happy ending soon. But um, it's a long haul. These things don't change overnight. Be ready. Bring along extra oil. And we know what oil symbolizes. That's the spirit of God using the word of God. So be like those five wise virgins in Jesus' parable who brought along extra oil. So now you're wondering, how are things now? I do want to give you the rest of the story before we, uh, we're going to have a nice long extended time of Q&A, because that's what you're going to get out of this the most, Q&A. But um, the son who spent nine times behind bars, after that he actually went downhill longer and he became a homeless Muslim pothead. Try to put that together. Homeless? You think Muslims aren't potheads. Well, he was. Homeless Muslim pothead for a very long time. And actually got involved in a Somalian terrorist mosque in San Diego. Yeah. Um, yeah. He ate out of trash cans on the street. Um, it was a certifiable nightmare. It really was. But I want to tell you where he is today. He is a baptized, fruitful member of a Bible-believing church in Pittsburgh. He lives with us. He has a job. And my husband and I have a ministry because we have this enormous house, seven bedrooms. By the way, come to Pittsburgh. You can afford seven bedrooms. Um, <laughs> but we have a ministry. And um, he is the one who makes it work as far as taking care of the property. My husband and I aren't in a place where we can do that. So now he, he loves Jesus. He does all the yard work, some of the maintenance. And he is just, we, we, we tell him, Paul, we wouldn't have this ministry without you. Now, he's 45. <laughs> this started when he was very young. It's been a long, hard road. I would have no guess at the beginning how this was going to end. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds tomorrow. Okay, what about the one in the psych hospital <laughs> um, who almost got sent away as a sex slave? Um, she now lives on her own. As of May 11th, she moved out 273 miles away from me. 
Um, by the way, you can take care of a child too much. You can be too kind and too helpful. You really, it's very hard to walk that balance. But she is doing well. She drives herself most places. She's looking for work. And I praise the Lord for her diligence in her diet. She is sugar-free, vegan, and gluten-free. I mean, try to wrap your mind around that. But it helps her with her brain issues. She stays on her psych meds. Yes, she's on psych meds. She visits her psychiatrist regularly. She goes to church faithfully and has her devotions. And she has relationships with friends. It is pretty amazing after what we have come through. I am so thankful. In fact, right now, because well, I couldn't have come to this trip if she didn't leave her new little apartment 273 miles away, take the train, and take care of my husband so I could come here. There you go. I mean, she's probably checking on him every 30 seconds, but that's okay. We'll take it. Um, what about the one who um, went off to Hollywood for her secular career and made a movie against the exclusivity of Christ? Well, I don't have a good ending yet for that one. It's still in process. She's been with her Hindu boyfriend for six years and um, um, loves Jesus more than we can imagine, she says. So we stay close, keep her, you know, talk to her heart, keep her relationship going. But guess what? It's going to be a long haul. And until the story's over, it's not over. So whatever's going on with your child, the story isn't over. Okay? And then I have another child who I didn't mention at the beginning because these problems were later. She went through a painful divorce and now goes to a very uh, gay church here in San Diego. They really support gay marriage, but she loves the gospel and Jesus is her savior. So, put that together. It's a long haul. And God is sufficient. You've been listening to all these other talks, haven't you? It's how we interpret this. If I didn't believe that God had something good up his sleeve with every new child crashing and burning, I would have lost my mind. I'd be in the psych hospital. But because I believe in the sovereignty of God, and he's good, and he's working out something amazing, he's making me more like Jesus. And guess what? He's removing the idolatry, whoops, in my heart. Because my value and worth used to come from being an awesome mom, made my own this, and I did this, and my kids were smart and beautiful, and whatever else I thought they were. That was my worth. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm removing that idol from your heart. One child at a time. That wasn't punishment. That was love. So you better see that whatever's happening to your beloved, God's up to something good. He would never allow anything in your life. If you're a believer here tonight, he would never allow anything to happen if it wasn't for his highest glory. And you're good at becoming more like Jesus. And he loves your kids more than you do. Don't forget that for a minute. But what if they're shaking their fist in his face? What if they're a covenant breaker? What if, what if, what if, what if, what? 
How hard was it for God to save you? You were stubborn and lost too, hard-hearted. And he melted your heart. What is Their heart isn't any harder to melt than yours. God's sovereign. He does what he wants when he wants. There is hope for your child. There is, or, or children. Or I just heard it last night about a, a woman um, who has nine children and eight have left the faith. I, I can't imagine how she's handling this. But that's how we have to do. Mother, father, whatever. Own your own sins. Repent of them. But make sure where you go for your ultimate value and worth. It's your union with Christ. Not how your kids are doing or how embarrassing or shameful this is. So please get help. Don't, don't go to church and put on a happy face. I, mean, I don't say I don't say go to church and like cry through the entire service. I mean, unless, of course, that's how you feel. Uh, then hopefully somebody will pray with you. Um, but get help. This is the job of the church. And I know that there's maybe in your church there's like a whole bunch of young people who have walked away from Christ. That's okay. God's got this. You just be faithful. And you can comfort lots of other people. Believe me, why am I a comfort to some of you? I can just tell. Why am I a comfort? The comfort with which I have been comforted, I'm comforting you. And the comfort that you've been comforted with, you are going to comfort others. And I bet you many of you have already. I bet you in your church, people are coming to you and saying, you know, like, how do you handle this? And how do you handle that? And how do you stay sane? And how come you still believe? And why haven't you just given up? <laughs> I know some people in this room have gone through things far worse than what I've gone through. And they are valuable in the church as counselors. Very, very valuable. So you have been promoted. If your children are a mess, you have been promoted. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that. So, oh good, we have 10 minutes for Q&A. Awesome. So if you have questions, make sure you ask me, and I will repeat them for the tape. Does anybody have comments or questions? You, yes. What about Oh, the, the fifth child? <laughs> um, thank you. Someone asked about the fifth. That poor girl gets left out all the time. She, she, she was compliant from day one. Um, my husband ran a counseling center in San Diego, and one of his first secretaries was this one young woman named uh, a mom with three small kids, and her name, you might have heard of her, Elise Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and um, she was his secretary, and people in her church were coming to her. And uh, she just she ate it up, and obviously she, her biblical counseling career took off like a rocket. But her son met our daughter, Ruth. So it's Ruth and Joel Fitzpatrick. They have two ch our only grandchildren. I'm one of those very unusual people in my age group that have five children and only two grandchildren. But praise the Lord, she's walking with the Lord. But I try not to, especially in front of the others, say too many positive things, because already we have a little bit of, well, she's your favorite, because she does what you want her to do, you know. So we don't emphasize that too much. 
Any other comments, questions, or stories of something you have fa faced that, or maybe a tool that someone else in here is going to benefit from? Okay, we have. I'm really struggling how to craft a question. So I'm just going to put another messy. I just, have you, have you really been able to keep those lines of communication really open? Good question. How do you keep the lines of communication open? Um, we, at every opportunity, we make sure that, you know, we, we talk, we pray. Now, like um, the, the son, the only son, um, every day he goes, he calls his father Pops. And he goes in there and he wants his Pops to read scripture with him and pray with him. I don't think he does it on his own, but he does. And then with the, the, the daughter who now lives 273 miles away, you, when she asks for help, you say, Lord, this is communion with God. Should I help her or should I tell her, go pray? Okay, because you can help too much. They have to learn how to go straight to the Lord themselves. And when they start in on one of their crazy stories, like the other day, remember, paranoid, delusional, got a call, mom, because I had just seen her. What'd you do with my, let's call it something else than what it is. That's, what'd you do with my Band-Aids? That's what she wanted to know. Uh, I said, well, they're under this, aren't they under the sink in the bathroom? I didn't touch them. Oh, no, they're not there. What'd you do with them? And I, I prayed, dear God, how do I respond to this? Because, you know, what we want to do is try logic. If you have a person who's irrational, you want to try logic. Now, why would somebody break into your house and steal Band-Aids and they didn't take your TV set? Hmm. But when you get somebody who's irrational, you don't try logic in the moment. You wait till they're rational, then you try logic. When they're irrational, you, you go to Jesus. You know, God's got you, he loves you. Jesus is gonna help you, let's just trust him. Have you prayed about this? Do the anti-anxiety exercise, <laughs> you know, so you, but you don't help too much. And how do you keep the lines of communication open? A really good way, by the way, they can tell you that they don't like your politics and they don't like your religion, but when they're broken and they call you, you can actually tell them what Jesus does for you when you're broken, when you're lonely, when you're desperate. So I, that, that true statement of mine, I've told my children that. <laughs> my value and worth come from who I am in Jesus Christ and not how you're doing. <coughs> Sorry, that's the way it is. And I've actually had one of my children say, I'm so tired of you saying that you love the Lord more than us. I said, oh, you're a gift from God, okay? So no matter how far away they walk, you stay Christ-centered, word-centered, but look for opportunities to be loving and be humble. And remember, if it weren't for God's grace, you'd be just as screwed up as they are. And you might have been. <laughs> Any other comments, questions? I rushed through that thinking I would never have time to finish, and I did. Awesome. Sure we have no more? Oh, go ahead. What if they don't want you to talk about God? Um, 
Yeah, they will tell you you're preaching at them. I've heard, well, I am so, I know what you believe. I've heard it all, I'm done, right? You pray for wisdom. What do I say in that moment? Not too much, not too little. But you, you don't want to get preachy. Uh, just a little succinct word. Um, and I wish I, I had like a little notebook to give you in here. Say, here's 10 pithy comments. I don't have them. I, you know the word of God, and you know how God touches you in your worst moments. Be ready to say to them what God has taught you in your worst moments. But still don't get too preachy. But remember, they're still going to think anything you do is preachy. I mean, that's like the worst thing in the world, being preachy. Yes? As I was listening to you, I was just wondering, you know, you were saying that you had homeschooled and uh, you also had the principles of the Bible there. So, and it seemed like it was going in accordance with um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 25. Now, at what point did you notice something yourself as you were uh, teaching the principles of the Bible as well as homeschooling? Or, you know, was it all um, like a mental physical thing that you hadn't noticed? Or What a good question. Thank you. And you have such a wonderful big voice. I might not even going to repeat that because I think it picked it up. Thank you. Um, you know, the early signs happen in everybody. The child who ended up in the psych hospital, um, at, she was actually um, the victim of, um, of a flasher in her own home one time at age eight. And then at nine, I began to see OCD, hand washing, fears, irrational fears, which could have been connected to that. So these little things, they grow. So even though you're giving them the word of God, um, the little signs do come out. Because, <laughs> to tell the story on her, in our church we had communion every Sunday, and she heard 1 Corinthians 11 about some of you are sick and some have fallen asleep. So she thought that anybody, she was nine years old, that anybody who was sick in our church was her fault because she had done something. You know, she had a hypersensitive conscience. So we don't know whether that was spiritual, physical, or both. Was it from the Lyme disease or whatever? So with each child, even though you brought the biblical principles to bear, you guarded them from lots of things, um, you still see little signs. And you do the best you can. We gave her the gospel over and over again. Yeah, but in her mind, she was worried I mean, I'm sure some of you have exposure to people who are very obsessive, compulsive, and they're real Christians, but they're so worried about contamination fears or all kinds of things. And sometimes that comes on quickly. Um, people with, um, uh, what's the word, um, is it encephalitis, um, are prone to OCD. So you see these things, but they don't come out in their full fullness, a um, little at a time. But uh, yes, a follow-up question. Okay, well, um, I know this would be like, you know, where you're at now, you would be looking back. But looking back, what would you 
have done differently? <laughs> Good question. Uh, if you were to start over again? What would I do differently? Good. We, we teach all around the world, and I get that question more than any other one. You know, because young parents look at me and go, oh, what if that happened to me? Oh, my word. Um, um, I probably wouldn't be as strict as I was. I was very rule-based. I mean, my children laugh now that I wouldn't let them watch Popeye because I didn't want violence in my home. No guns, not even water pistols, because we weren't going to have violence. I mean, and I'm not recommending guns, okay? I'm just saying we were strict in certain things. I probably, I had no idea that my children wouldn't have a problem with violence, you know? Um, wouldn't let them watch, um, what was that, blue smurfs? Because I didn't want them to have anything to do with blue wizards, wizards of any kind. So no Smurfs. Everybody else is watching Smurfs, but not my kids. Um, I, I suppose I wouldn't be as strict, but we all look back and we do the what ifs. Um, that's not what caused the problems in my children. I mean, but I, I have lightened up. Oh, you know what happens with your children. The older ones are always complaining, right? I can't believe you let that younger one get away with that. I would have never gotten away with that, right? So, I mean, they're comparing. They're playing that game with you all the time anyway. So you do the best you can with the word of God and the spirit of God, and guess what? You trust God with the results. What if the results take five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? What if you die without knowing? That happened to quite a few famous people. They, they uh, walked away. And, um, and their, their, their mother, who prayed for them every day, died. And then they came to Christ. That story is repeated over and over again. You might not get to know. I know that wasn't really comforting. <laughs> you have a question back there. She's reading Paul Tripp's book on parenting. Um, so we have three little children, one that she has three little children and one big one. Beautiful. She's saying she read um, Paul Tripp's book, and he says, we're ambassadors for Christ, and we're not ultimately in control. We are not the Holy Spirit. We really would like to be the Holy Spirit. Only God can change a heart. You should write a book by that title. <laughs> uh, any other comments or questions? Because it is 4.30, and you have been amazing listeners. No? All right. The Lord bless you richly. May I meet all your children in heaven. Copyright 2018 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.